You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. And uh, in a moment, we're going to sing at the top of our lungs and uh, enjoy our fellowship together uh, here uh, outside Redeemer. I guess that's what you could say. Um, So welcome, everyone. If you're visiting with us, we're also glad that you're here. Just know that this is the first time we've gathered outside, and so bear with us a little bit. And uh, if you're visiting, we just want to know that you're here and and meet you. And so there are some cards, welcome cards, over on that first table over there. And uh, so if you're visiting, you can go over there, fill out one of those cards, and we'd love to meet you uh, this morning. So just a couple of uh, points as we gather outside. Restrooms are available. They're available inside the building, so if you need to use the restroom, you can do so. Uh, Also, um, just stay tuned as we move along uh, for updates, especially with relating to the weather. Praise the Lord for the weather today. It's beautiful. uh, But there will be days, I'm sure, ahead where the weather turns sour, and so we'll need to send out an update to you. And so just look um, for those. And along those lines, we have a backup plan, and that is we are transmitting the service to uh, 88.7 on your radios in the cars. So if it is a hot day or if it is raining, you can jump in your car and turn the radio to 88.7 and hear everything from inside your car. Um, So if we do have rain, we'll just come park our cars and uh, enjoy worshiping the Lord together in our cars. Just a couple events to make you aware of. Uh, Redeemer 101, so we've actually uh, postponed this class twice. So Redeemer 101 is happening on August 21st and 22nd. Um, And if you're interested in taking the next step towards membership, uh, I encourage you to come out on, it's a Friday and a Saturday night here at the building. And uh, so come out and learn more about Redeemer and what we're about Uh, Again, that's on a Friday night, 7 o'clock is when it starts uh, on August 21st. We just ask that you please RSVP if you're interested in coming, just so we know uh, how to plan. And then this Thursday, uh, our students and leaders are going to camp. Um, And so we're just going to ask you to pray for us. Uh, Pray that the students and leaders would have spiritual encouragement in the gospel as we consider Galatians 5. And, uh, and also pray for safety. You know, every year, uh, safety is a prayer that we, or is something we ask you to pray for. Uh, but obviously, with everything going on this year, we just pray that you, uh, we ask that you would just pray for our students' safety. And then for relationships, new and old. Um, and we hope that with all that's gone on in the last few months in the lives of our students, that this would act as a cool glass of lemonade in a, on a hot day. Um, in their spiritual walk with the Lord. And also pray for the last few days of planning. There's still some details to, to uh, sure up, and so we just pray for those as well. So there's more happening at Redeemer. If you're interested in learning more um, or, or getting weekly updates, you can also fill out one of those cards at that table and make sure that you're getting those updates every week. I know it may be difficult, but I'm going to ask you all to stand as we begin our time together worshiping the Lord. I'm going to do the call of of worship 
uh, from Psalm 19, the bookends of Psalm 19. So verse 1 and then verse 14. Since we're outside, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. All right, you may be seated. I want to pray in just a moment, but before I do that, I just want to thank you all for being flexible, for embracing this unique opportunity to meet together. Uh, I want to thank you for working hard to maintain unity within the body of Christ during a strange and difficult time. <clears throat> I want to thank uh, all of those who worked during the week to kind of pull all the details for this together. Uh, so there were a number of gracious and selfless servants who gave up their time this week to be able to, uh, for us to be able to meet this morning. And then I do just want to mention again what Jason referred to in his prayer. And we are, we're delighted this morning to have Aaron and Tanya White and their family with us officially. So right over here officially for the first time this morning, so why don't you welcome them. <clears throat> and uh, as a means of initiating Aaron, uh, I'll preach today and next week, and then we'll give him the final sermon in Daniel, uh, where he can deal with all of the things that I've looked over uh, throughout the whole series. So uh, I'm excited to hear from, from Aaron. Once you take your copy of the scriptures, however you might have that this morning, and turn to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. As you're finding that, uh, let's, let's pray and ask the Lord for his help this morning. Father, we come to you this morning with grateful hearts. We're so thankful to be meeting together in this way. Thank you for providing for us a gorgeous morning. <clears throat> Thank you for providing for us this, this place to meet. Uh, we don't often think about how grateful we ought to be for a parking lot. And yet, in a, in a unique circumstance like this, we, we find ourselves praising you for a parking lot, for a place where we can meet outdoors and we can worship you with great joy. We pray now as we look into your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. There are so many things that could distract us this morning, and, and yet we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you have for us in your word. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. I have to believe that many of you know the name Louis Zamperini. Uh, Louis Zamperini was a United States soldier in World War II who was captured by the Japanese and endured unimaginable suffering as a prisoner of war. If you have read Laura Hillenbrand's book, Unbroken, and if you haven't, you should, uh, there are two specific situation in Zamp situations in Zamperini's life that I want you to consider this morning as we begin our study. The first is when he was shot down in a plane over the Pacific Ocean where he was stranded 850 miles south of Hawaii for 47 days. 
floating in a raft. At one point, he and the two soldiers that were stranded and starving with him heard a plane. And as you would do if you were in that situation, they frantically and desperately tried to catch the attention of the pilot only to be shot at by the plane. Well, Zamperini survived his time in the Pacific only to end up in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And he was there for almost two years. As a POW, he would experience some of the most awful torture you can imagine. At one point during his intense time of suffering, he heard a plane again. But this time it would be the means of his rescue. Friends, put yourself in Louis's shoes, lost and in captivity, wondering if you're going to be rescued, wrestling every day with profound confusion and hopelessness. As you know, the book of Daniel has been telling us the story of a group of Israelites who were forcibly taken from their homes and have now been living in captivity in Babylon. You have to think that this group of captives must have felt something like what Louis Zamperini felt. Confusion, fear, uncertainty, and even hopelessness. Yes, God had promised to rescue them. That promise had been reiterated through prophets and through God's own mighty acts. But yet his people remained in captivity awaiting salvation, no doubt fighting for belief. Friends, what would have kept Daniel and his friends going? How in the world did they persevere in a strange and wicked land without losing hope? What did God do to reassure them of his love for them? To remind them that he had not forgotten them? Well, we will find the answers to these questions in our text this morning as we arrive at Daniel chapter 8. And of course, uh, there's, there's so much in this chapter that I won't be able to address. I was telling John and Jason before, in order to accommodate this time, there were pages of notes that I had that I, I took out trying to summarize for you the main themes, the overarching themes of this text in hopes that it will spur you on to greater study. If you remember beginning in chapter 7, we are no longer moving chronologically through the events of the exile, but we're still being told when Daniel received these important visions. So, look at how chapter 8 begins. In the third year of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel. Again, we met Belshazzar back in chapter 5, the arrogant and mocking king who met a sudden and tragic end after the fingers of a human hand appeared during one of his parties. Daniel was called to interpret the startling message. King Belshazzar was informed by Daniel that he had been weighed in the divine scale of justice. He had been found wanting and his kingdom would be divided. Chapter 5 ends... With this, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. 
The vision that Daniel receives in chapter 8, and I want you to grasp this, the vision that Daniel receives in chapter 8 actually happens sometime before what takes place in chapter 5. So keep that in mind as you seek to fit all the parts of this book together. Daniel knew that Belshazzar's reign would come to an abrupt end before the handwriting appeared on the wall. So chapter 8 catalogs the vision that Daniel received prior to the events recorded in chapter 5. Well, in verses 1 through 14 of chapter 8, Daniel explains his vision. It involves a battle between a ram and a goat. Here's just a taste of that vision. Look at verses 5 and 6. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. As I've mentioned in weeks past, if, if you're here and you take notes by drawing pictures, have fun with that. Ultimately, the speedy goat defeats the powerful ram. And thankfully, a heavenly messenger named Gabriel appears before Daniel, and he explains this vision, because without the angelic explanation, we would all be lost. Look at verse 17. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. So Gabriel comes, and he explains what the vision means. To Daniel, and he he includes that last statement. The vision is for the time of the end. That's a very important phrase. In fact, Gabriel mentions not only the importance of Daniel understanding it, but he he gives this sort of linchpin to to wrapping our heads around the meaning of this vision. The vision itself pertains to what Gabriel calls the end. What does he mean when he says the end? And then in verse 19, when we find the the phrase is the latter end and the time of the end. Well, there are two likely possibilities, and responsible Bible scholars hold to each of these. The end may refer to the very end, the time of Christ's second coming and the appearance of the Antichrist, Uh, perhaps Many of you have heard this before. The other likely option is that the end refers to events closer at hand, real historical events. This is explained well by theologian Sinclair Ferguson. Listen to what Ferguson writes. The end in the Old Testament refers to the conclusion of the problem then at hand. Here it refers to the latter time of the indignation, that is, the days of Antiochus of Epiphanes, who ruled the Seleucid Empire from 175 until his death in 164. Gabriel has been sent to assure Daniel that there will be an end. God will step in to preserve his people and to halt this inordinate time of stress. God's destruction of Antiochus will be a foretaste of his final destruction of the Antichrist. 
So friends, I, I want you to understand that whether Daniel's vision is primarily about God's power displayed in the rise and fall of yet another earthly king, or it's a certain word of prophecy concerning the, the final defeat of a major figure called Antichrist, either way, it's a needed reminder for the people of God in exile and for all of us now. And here's the reminder. The time will come when Christ's victory will arrive in its fullness. Every wicked king and kingdom will fall and Christ will reign forever. Consider again the people of God in exile. Confused. Confused but still clinging to some measure of hope. In the promises of God. Well, they had to be wondering what's going on. And especially if the conditions of the the world they lived in were, were going to get worse. That's what the vision indicates. How would they continue to believe? How would they keep going? Well, this vision is God's reminder to them that even though things are going to get worse, God hasn't forgotten his promises to his people. He hasn't changed. He hasn't abdicated the throne of heaven. No, he's reminding his hurting people that he's still with them. He's still sovereign. And he will reign in victory. You see, brothers and sisters, whether you're in the exilic community or you're living through the coronavirus. God speaks to His people. He speaks to us. And by His Word, we are strengthened. We are strengthened to keep going. To persevere in faith. And to do so with hope and joy. Nothing happening in the world should cause the people of God to doubt what God has already established in His Word. And here's here's just one wonderful aspect of how God works. It's, It's what I just mentioned. God communicates with His people in their suffering and confusion. With Daniel, He did it through a vision and then the interpretation of the vision. With us, He does it through a variety of means. But the major way in which God speaks to us is through the activities of the gathered church. God lovingly reminds us of His promises through songs and sermons and the serving of communion. God is speaking to us by His Spirit through His chosen means. This is why we call them means of grace. And this is, without a doubt, one major reason the coronavirus has been so challenging for so many of you. It has separated you from the primary vehicle through which God has promised to give you grace. The gathered church on the first day of the week is the place to find promised and desperately needed grace. Now, this is not to say that God can't or won't sustain us in other ways. He will. In fact, 
He has, hasn't he? But let's not forget in the midst of this strange time just how significant this gathering is in the plan and purpose of God. So back to the text, that phrase in verse 19, the time of the end, either refers to something that has already happened from our vantage point, something that has already happened that foreshadows a future victory, or something that will happen. But either way, either way, it's a reminder that God is sovereign over everything, and he is moving history toward his ordained end. And in this, every believer should find sure and steady hope. Picking up the interpretation of Daniel's vision in verse 20, we find out that the ram with two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. And according to verse 21, the goat is the king of Greece. But when the well-known king of Greece, Alexander the Great, died, his empire was divided among his four generals. Hence, verse 22, as I'm understanding it, look at it with me. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. Earlier you heard me mention Antiochus Epiphanes, who ruled the Seleucid Empire from 175 until his death in 164. Uh, Many very able scholars believe that Antiochus Epiphanes is the little horn of verse 9 and the king of boldface in verse 23. If you study the history of his reign, this certainly seems to be a likely possibility. He was an exceedingly wicked and despotic ruler. Uh, I want you to hear this. One source points out that he banned circumcision, ended sacrifices in the temple, deliberately defiled the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar. He burned copies of the scriptures and slaughtered those who remained true to their faith in God. But again, brothers and sisters, remember what Daniel is finding out here. He's finding out that this horrible reign I just described is in the future. It hasn't happened yet. Things will get worse. This explains verse 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. I want you to notice something back, just one verse in verse 26. Daniel is told that these things would happen many days from now which means that they would almost certainly take place after Daniel's death. But don't miss this, friends. Even though Daniel is being confronted with the terror of circumstances that, will, that he will likely not experience, this does not mean that he doesn't care. We don't find Daniel shrugging off this news as if it doesn't matter to him. I mean, if he's going to be gone, then who cares? I think what we see in Daniel here is instructive. It's instructive because if we're not careful, brothers and sisters, we can look at the chaos and confusion of the world and we can respond in one of two very unhealthy ways. 
some of us are tempted to withdraw, becoming cynical and ultimately ambivalent to the desperate need of those all around us. In essence, we give up because things seem hopeless and and then we think, well, I'll be gone anyway. Who cares? Here's a second unhealthy response. Others are tempted to become too focused on worldly solutions. Seeming to think that if just the right person is elected, or just the right law is passed or repealed, then everything will be better. As you know, in past weeks I've said I'm not, I'm not advocating that you don't get involved as a, as a good citizen of this wonderful country where God has placed you, but I'm, I am begging you not to put your hope in the elected officials, those who rule this country. Friends, Daniel helps us steer clear of both these ditches. He does so by modeling a third way, the way of unwavering faith and hope in a sovereign God. So as we draw our attention and our hearts toward the Lord's table, let me, let me just give you quickly five observations. Some of these will come from this chapter. Some are sort of tying what we've learned together. Number one, Daniel listens to the voice of God. Daniel listens to the voice of God. I mentioned this before, but there is simply no way Daniel could have navigated everything he faced in his life, in captivity, as an exile, in a strange land, if he was left to and relied on his own wisdom. From the very beginning of this story, as Daniel faced a profoundly important decision about eating the king's meat and drinking his wine, we've seen Daniel desperate for the wisdom of God. Brothers and sisters, as we attempt to navigate this life, all it involves, we need to listen to God. We're tempted to listen to many other people. What happens, though, is our worldview, our way of understanding all that's happening in the world is shaped by who we're listening to. In our own way, we can echo the words of Daniel in verse 15. We seek understanding. If the last four months have taught us anything, it's how easy it is for all of us as Christians to have our thinking shaped by something or someone other than God and His perfect Word. Oh, how we need Christians, especially now, who think like Christians who provide the world with an alternative. So that's the first one. Daniel listens to the voice of God. Number two, Daniel learns to see the hand of God. Again, this is not something new in our study through Daniel. The undeniable thread that runs through this book is that God is sovereign over everyone and everything. There is no king and no kingdom anywhere on the planet then or now, 
that God did not set in place and he will remove in his time and according to his plan. Friends, we need to be reminded over and over again what Daniel declared back in chapter 2. It's become a verse that I've gone back to hundreds of times in my own prayer life over the last several months. God alone changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Number three, Daniel laments. Daniel laments the horrible effects of sin and wickedness. Daniel laments the horrible effects of sin and wickedness. I think this is what's happening in verse 27, and we find out more in the next chapter. Think about all the vision entailed. References to transgressors, fearful destruction, the destruction of many. Friends, Daniel is grieving over the horrible effects of sin. And in this, he reflects the heart of God. Now again, this is not the first time we've seen this in our study through Daniel. We saw this in Daniel's compassionate posture toward Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4. We saw it again in his relationship with King Darius. And now we see it as this prophet of God grieves. He does not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't want to see the devastation that sin causes. He wants it all to stop. Brothers and sisters, does your heart beat with the mercy and kindness of God? Or do you find yourself taking pleasure or finding joy in the destruction of the wicked? It's not difficult for us to look around right now and see the devastating effects of sin and wickedness. And our primary response can be a sort of jaded form of judgment. Or our primary response to be that our heart breaks. Our heart breaks for the devastation, for the hopelessness that sin causes. Daniel laments the horrible effects of sin and wickedness. Fourth, Daniel loves the people of God. Now we can say, we know this, Daniel loves all people. That's the previous point. This is why He laments the horrible effects of sin and wickedness, but there's a particular emphasis in this book. Daniel loves the people of God. We'll see this most clearly in chapter 9, when Daniel prays for his people. He longs for the deliverance of his people. He pleads with God for his divine rescue. In fact, look forward to just one verse, verse 15 of chapter 9. Daniel makes reference to the exodus. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. Oh, this is why it's so important to rehearse the mighty acts of God. Because you'll find yourself in difficulty reaching back and saying, God, do it again just like you did it before. Daniel wants a new exodus. Another act of God's sovereign grace in rescuing his people He wants the suffering to end. Brothers and sisters, as you watch 
the present social unrest and political upheaval, all the confusion, division, frustration, and suffering brought about by this pandemic. Again, what is your first response? Is it to pray? Is it to pray? And is it specifically to pray for the health of the church and the flourishing of the gospel? This is the only hope of the world. It's interesting this past week, listening to John MacArthur, who is outlining the decision that he and his church have made, and I'm not offering any commentary on that, but I was challenged by many things John MacArthur said, but but one of them he pointed out was this. He said, in the state of California, he said, churches have been deemed to be non-essential, He said, on the other hand, abortion clinics and liquor stores have deemed to be essential. He said, so during a pandemic, when people are isolated and they're lonely and they're grasping for hope, could it be that the devil is actively working to keep the place where they can find hope closed while keeping open the places where they think they can find hope, but they'll only find destruction? Friends, again, this is a way in which our thinking during this time needs to be distinctly shaped by Scripture. Knowing that the people of God who possess the gospel of God are the great hope of the world. Number five, finally, Daniel longs for the kingdom of God. Remember Daniel's vision in chapter 7, the ancient of days, God himself will give to the Son of Man dominion and glory and a kingdom and all people, nations and languages will serve him and his dominion will be an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom will never be destroyed. Friends, Can't you see Daniel kneeling by his window, which we know he did? Can't you see Daniel kneeling by his window in prayer? And can't you hear him pleading with God for this promise to become a reality? God, bring the kingdom you have promised and bring it now. Please do not delay. Daniel likely prayed with the same urgency that Christ commands of us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Redeemer family, in the midst of everything that's happening, here's a good pattern to follow. A pattern that will help you navigate the confusion and chaos with hope. Listen to the Word of God. Learn to see the hand of God. Lament the horrible effects of sin. Love the people of God. And long for the kingdom of God to come in its fullness. Let's pray.